the Daniel Ruiz Tyson podcast. I was already doing a show with someone else when I started started this uh, this this podcast. And uh, there are a couple of reasons, I think, why I started this. One, um, the other podcast was reliant on the other person being around, and he wasn't often around. And the situation that I found myself in, I was writing a lot about what was happening to me, but it didn't feel like enough. And I, I just felt like, to be honest, I was ready to speak to anyone at that time, and I would often just tell any stranger, work colleagues that I didn't know well at the time, I'm just... It, it was the first time in my life that I've been very candid with people and very candid with myself. I don't know. It just gave me an anchor. I was going to the hospital at that time every week, but it just still didn't feel like an uh, like it was enough. So I started doing the show, and uh, I'm not sure how much that helped, but I got into the pattern of doing it every week, and it was almost a, a sounding board for myself, really, to see where I was at each week. So you started doing the show around the same time that you sort of started having your counselling as well? About three months after, afterwards. Uh, and I haven't really listened to those early shows, but people who have say uh, they're, they're very different and they're uh, very dark. And it was, they were certainly very different from the other show that I was doing. Uh, I think this whole thing, this, this, this honesty that I'd never really, I'd never even come close to uh, approaching at any point in my life before that. It started to happen on the other podcast. Um, it turned, the other podcast uh, turned into a completely different show from what it was intended to be very early on when things started to go wrong and I ended up in the hotel. And I think this basically snowballed from there. This, this, this became that show but in, in greater depth and at times I mean it was meant to be a comedy show at times there was very little comedy in those shows and I think what's happened now maybe in the last few weeks actually I've become aware of that and just thought well it, I think there is plenty of comedy there but I'm also not shy about talking uh, about the mental health issues about my own experience and, and listening to the experiences of others and uh, you know a couple of years ago where my life was I don't think uh I would have been talking about this kind of stuff, even though maybe I was, you know, suffering from whatever I was suffering from. I don't think I recognised that I was, and I think that's where I am at the moment with this with this show. And it has been it's been tiring doing it every week. I think it'll do me some some good, maybe to put it away for a while and see how I get on without having to feel like I need to talk about what's going on at the moment. What's been the main thing that you've got out of doing it? I think an understanding of where I am. I think. I think I've realised that you know, I could have broken my leg maybe at the, you know, at the start of last year and it had been mended long ago. I think what I've understood is that when you break mentally, it can take a very long time and does take a very long time to put yourself back together, mm. which is a surprise, which is a surprise because um, the last three or four years... Uh, I don't recognise. I don't recognise the life that I'm. I'm, I'm living now. I, I never expected to be living this kind of life. It's not what I'd hoped for. It's not what I expected, and uh, it's it's been a difficult adjustment. And 
I think one of the things that the show's done for me is it's shown me who I am right now. And uh, it's not some someone I particularly want to be or enjoy being. And that growing awareness of that just encourages me to sort of push on and get back to where I want to be, um, if I can get back to that place. In what way, though, you say that, you know, it's showing you that you don't really... What don't you sort of like about yourself? Well, I don't like... I don't like the fact that I have to talk about these things. I don't like the fact that I feel the need to talk about these things, about these negatives. I think the positives that are coming through, I'm not sure that I've appreciated them. I, I think there are moments where I can recognize that everything I'm doing were things that I wasn't doing when, when things were better. You know, I've done, a, I've done a lot of work over the last year. I've done a phenomenal amount of writing. I've done over 80 podcasts. I've done stand-up shows. I've written a book. But for some reason, I don't seem to be able to uh, appreciate that. And I think that that's a battle for me to, to, to appreciate that. And I think the show is it's showing me how far I've come, but that there's still some way to go. I don't want to get to where I need to get by having to talk about the same things all the time. I think one of the problems I have is I am prone to dwelling on stuff. I think that might be because I'm a writer and I can you know, analyse everything endlessly from all sorts of different angles, and I don't think that does me any favours. You're sort of saying that, you know, you obviously can't recognise, you're aware that you've achieved all this stuff, but it still gets overshadowed, but, but by what, though? What's kind of this main kind of thing that really keeps you down, like the main thoughts that you have about yourself? Every day feels the same, and I think that's in part due to the situation, that you know, the credit crunch, and a lot of people are in the same situation. And I won't know until I get through this whole situation, until I'm back in nine to five and mingling with people on a day-to-day basis, I won't know how far I've come. Right now, uh, I've made changes, but I don't know how valid these changes are, these changes that I've made in my life. I I don't really know what kind of person I, I might have become because it's, you know, I'm existing largely on my own. I, I don't see that many people. That's uh, you know that's partly my fault. I've isolated myself. I think it's the first time in my life where, you know, there've been periods in the past where I've not felt at my best, but I never cut myself off like this. I find it very difficult to to appreciate the the positives that I'm uh, the positives that I have in my life because every day feels the same. It's it's a battle to get started every day, and I you know I think I'm a tough person, and I I do get stuck into each day, but it's becoming harder and harder. And you become complacent when you I've said it before you incur losses or you have uh, bad times, and you you think nothing else can hurt you, and then you get to this point. In my case, you know, years on from maybe things that have happened and you think why is this period tougher is it tougher simply because it's now and I'm older and I'm 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 finding it I don't have the energy that I used to in order to work my way through this or is it harder because this is simply the hardest situation you've ever been in and I'd say it's the latter I mean it's not the most traumatic part of this last three or four years I'm you know I feel like I'm coming out of whatever happened but it's such a slow process and I think that is the struggle for me that I'm putting in so much effort into changing and trying to make better decisions, but I don't feel like anything's changing. Obviously, you know, everything that has happened over the last three or four years. So are you saying now that you find this the hardest part? No, I, 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 I don't 
kid myself. I think when I when I, I there are times when I tell myself, "Well, this is so hard. This is the this is as, as tough as I've ever known." And I have to remind myself, "Well, no. You know, the the the, the five months in the hotel, that period when I lost everything, that was traumatic. That's now that's what broke me." This is why, you know, 15 months on, I'm still trying to work my way out of this and everything that happened as a result of that hotel stay. But to go from that and to still be here 15 months on trying to put that behind me, that's the hard thing because I think what I've done should have been and maybe in another time would have been enough to, to get me out of this, to, to have me feeling, you know, a bit more positive, you know, a bit happier. But So what's those... You know, I mean, you, you speak about, you know, circumstance and your situation a lot, which obviously is going to, you know, it's, it's not helping. But what's the actual kind of, how do you sort of feel about yourself as a person? I recognise, you know, I'm hard enough on myself as it is, but I, I do recognise that I, I, I think I'm a talented guy. I think my, uh, I have a, I have a, it's going to sound like I'm bigging myself up, but I might as well, given given how hard I can often be with myself. I think I have a unique style of writing. I think uh, the podcast is unusual. But uh, I think there's every danger that nothing's going to come of anything because of how difficult the situation is in and because I find myself uh, you know, on my own. And day in, day out, the battle is for me to tell myself the positives. There's no one, as there was in the past, for me to... To, to, to go to them with whatever anxieties I might have and who could sort of bring me back from that and say, well, no, actually, you're this, you're that, you've got this going for you, blah, blah, blah. This is all having to come from me. This is the battle every day. And I'm, you know, I'm far stronger now and I can do it. I can pull myself away from the worst of that, but I, I'm having to do it myself. Um, I think in the past I probably would have transferred my anxieties onto whoever I was with and have them pull me back. So, you know, maybe... That was, I would accept that that was unfair on those people. Now this is all coming from me. Well, as hard as that uh, is, it's a really good thing for you to be able to do because lots of people aren't able to talk themselves out of it and do rely on other people to make them happy, and, and that's not particularly healthy. So to be able to do that yourself and talk yourself out of it is obviously something you know you've learned how to do, and that's a good thing. Yeah, it's, I, I'm aware it's a, it's a good thing. I still find it very difficult to do. Um, I find getting started in the mornings very difficult. I find the weekends unbearable and Monday mornings for some reason. Uh, I mean, this Monday just gone was an absolute nightmare. I think that low feeling from the weekend, it kind of carries over and just hits me with a, an almighty uh, force on the Monday morning. And, you know, by the Tuesday, I'm better. I'm getting into the week. But, you know, Monday was difficult. And I have those days in the mornings for, for whatever reason are the hardest part of the day for me. So what at your sort of lowest when you're feeling like that? What's kind of going through your head? What would you like to do? Sort of just stay in bed all day? Have you not got that will to kind of... No, that's, that's the thing. I'm not one for... I'm not one for sleeping in. I never have been. I'm not even one for going to bed. I find it very difficult to go to bed. I force myself into bed every night and it'll still take me maybe an hour or two to get to sleep. And I think, obviously, that doesn't help me with getting up in the mornings, but I'm still getting up early. But I'm getting up early and I'm thinking, for what? You know, what am I getting up for? And my day is really structured very well, but it's the same thing every day. It's broken up into four 
uh, four stages and I just it's the same thing every day and so then I break up those stages with a with a long walk and I'm just you know, I'm going on the walk and there's not really much in my head which which might be a good thing it might be a good thing um, I try to switch off I'll I'll have the iPod on and I'm trying to listen to music or I'm trying to listen to a show and I'm just clearing my head trying to get exercise before resuming with my day but this is it this is doing this all on my own and I'm aware that that's not healthy but that's you know that's a situation there are lots of people in this uh, situation um, I don't think I've down tools which I think is a positive thing but there is less and less energy and once a week <laughs> It's Thursday, it's time to record the podcast, and I'm thinking, why am I doing this? This is just irresponsible. This is not a priority. How can I be doing this when my life is is as it is at the moment? What am I getting out of this? And, and you know, I don't really know what I'm getting out of it. I think I just wanted to stick with it for a year, get a show out every week of the year. I don't know what I'm trying to prove to myself by doing that, but I set myself that target. I'm almost there, and hopefully on this break however long it is I can look back at that and you know maybe pat myself on the back for that what was that whole showbiz mick thing that you had going on last night every time you told an anecdote you'd laugh you're not like that in the real world you tell a story and you'd start going <laughs> You're like Peter Eustonoff. Exactly. Yeah. I am the working class Peter Eustonoff, yeah. What's wrong with that, though, Dan? I don't get yeah, well, well, it's, but, but it's not really you. You were talking to me. You never do that. <laughs> when we meet up, you never do that. Just because you are on a podcast, you stop. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, maybe it was where I was. I was outside Abbey Road Studios. Maybe I was talking to you, you know, like one of the Twitterati. Yeah, sorry about the computer. Right. We, 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 we just discussed. <laughs> <laughs> I'll turn it prior, prior to recording, you asked me, will, if, I, if I switch on the computer, if I do something on the computer, will you hear it? And I said yes. So what does he do? He switches on his computer. Yeah, but I've got to charge the phone. So just people don't know. I, I thought you, I, How many times I, I said this to you? People must be bored of this. Me, I thought it, you told me... I thought you t- told me that you were charging your phone already. I was. Look, I'm, I'm charging it off the computer, though. You don't get that. This is the real word, Dan. You've got to really... Oh. Two years. Two years now of working with you. There's yeah. no improvement, is no, there, really? No, because I don't want to improve. I'm happy with what I am and who I am. Yeah, you're happy with who you are. Exactly, yeah. yeah what's that? Is that that's like a criticism, Dan? What are you criticising me for? <laughs> I'm doing you a favour here, friend. Of course you are. Yeah. You're always doing yeah. me a favour. Yeah, exactly. I just noticed one of the tables, and my leg tables is uh, wonky. That's not good. Oh dear! Oh, go on, Dan. You were saying, go on about. No, I think I'm, I think I, I can't even remember what I was yeah, saying yeah. now. But the, 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 the chuckle, no, no. I mean, if it's a genuine chuckle, fine. I'm fine with a genuine chuckle. If it's a, mm, mm, well, mm, <laughs> I've been watching reruns of Parkinson and stuff like that. So you, you did come across as very sort of 1970s chat show. Well, yes, that goes with the 1970s chest, then, doesn't it? I guess it does. There you go. Maybe I'm, see, I'm in sync with myself. I'm just 30 years out of date. 40 years now, isn't it? Yeah, so there you go. Okay, so you're saying, you know, when you were speaking about the podcast just now, sort of saying that you don't feel that you should be doing it, um, you know, that it's kind of a waste and with everything else, but but in the same sort of sentence, it sounds like you're not doing, you know, your days are very much, you know, structured, but you're doing the same thing. So surely, you know, doing something 
like the podcast would be a positive thing. It is a positive thing. It's also a pressure, and I think right now I don't. I'm not sure that it's a it's a good thing for my life. I think I need to scale everything back, and unfortunately, it's all the creative stuff I'm scaling back. Um, I've had a better week on the book this week, but it's taken a, a monumental effort on my part to to put that time in and, and to turn that around this week. And it's been the first good week in about four or five weeks. All the the podcast has been the only thing I think that's sort of withstood all the pressures. Uh, the book, the uh, script writing, the stand-up, they've all slowly crumbled because of the situation. And I, I think stopping this uh, podcast for a bit and looking back and, and savouring what I've done and will... You know, it'll be a good thing, but it'll also allow me to focus on, on the more important things. Unfortunately, this is what's difficult, I think, for me personally. The situation I find myself in is just, it's given every aspect of my writing career a good kick in. Everything has just gradually fallen by the wayside because uh, it's such a big effort to turn things around. What and that's that 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 is frustrating, very frustrating. What are you going to be? You know, you're talking about you scale back all of like the creative stuff, which is obviously the stuff you enjoy doing. So, what are you going to be replacing that with? Just the full-on assault on trying to get back into nine to five. That's that's the reality of my situation. I don't I don't delude myself. Uh, I took that sabbatical. It was meant to be six months, and you know, five six months on, I'm still looking to bring that to an end. But do you think it's healthy to? to not allow yourself to have a, a small window where you're actually doing something that you love. I'm not saying necessarily the podcast, but doing something, you know, that taps into that. If you spend all of your time just constantly looking for a job. And I agree. Yeah, I agree. I just think that I can tap into that side of things, but it needs to be something that's that takes less time than the show. And the show is just... Uh, it, it, the, the great thing is I built it up from nothing. I, th- I think the first show had less than 100 listeners. And then in the last uh, two, three months, it, it built up to 16,000 listeners a week. And I'm very proud of that. But it's just become more and more difficult to, to get a show out. And ironically, as it's become more difficult, the shows have actually gotten longer, which to me suggests there's a lack of focus on my part. And I think it'll be good to have a breather and... I just need to. I just need to focus. I need to keep going. I need to keep doing the more important stuff. And unfortunately, this and all the other creative stuff, they can't be that important right now. That that's the situation. That's what frustrates me. But then it's about getting that balance, though, because if you're not doing anything that you know feels good and 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 makes you feel happy, then I don't really see what the point is. There's nothing right now that is making me feel great even even all my own stuff i mean with the book getting that back on track this week that's made me you know that's been a big positive but it, you know it doesn't get me sort of jumping on the tables and something in my chest it's I can't imagine anything would get you jumping on the table no no i'm not that kind of i'm, I'm not that kind of guy but it it, it basically gets me back on track it you know i should have always been there and i haven't but i haven't because of the situation um this this situation this credit crunch is changing a lot of people's lives and it's it's changed my life and and so that requires drastic action on my part and that means that i've got to give my full attention to to turning this around i can't do that with 
these distractions, which are distractions I created, distractions that I allow to grow, dreams that I wanted to pursue, which I have pursued, but which at this point I have to just, you know, I have to let them fall by the wayside really and get back to the important stuff. And I'm, I'm fine with that. Where do you, this is quite a, a cliche sort of question, but where do you want to kind of be in sort of six months' time? I don't know about six months' time. I think if I can stop feeling like I'm feeling in, in a year, that would be good because I think this is a, this is a long thing. And I've, the way I've gone into this year, and I went into this year with a proper plan, a five-point plan, the first time I've actually written a plan down because I never, ever had a plan. And I really thought about it long and hard going into Christmas and the first thing on the plan fell apart and everything else fell apart it really knocked me for six almost forced me to regroup and just appreciate this thing is so big this what what's happened to my life big for me that I think I'm probably hopefully this will be the last year of it but it's certainly not going to be as short as I'd hoped and I think that's me being realistic what I want to do is I want to be feeling you know I want to be happy that's the first thing that's the most important thing that's more important than any project that's more important than getting back into television the podcast the stand-up that's that's what I'm aiming for how I get there when I've isolated myself in the house I don't know and I'm aware of that and I'm you know that's an increase in awareness on my part the last two or three weeks that I need to start getting out there and I need to start uh, being around people. And as, um, that, That's where I've gone wrong. And also, as well, though, you know, you talk about, you know, your main goal is to get happy, but yet you're still, you know, dropping everything that kind of, you know... But that, Yeah, but those things aren't making me happy anyway. Those things aren't making me happy. And that's what I learned when I was... People, people uh, you know, I've had stick from some listeners who say, oh, uh, I've gone on a, a little too much about my past successes I don't think I went on about them in an arrogant way I think I went on about them if I did go on about them because I was trying to understand or I'd I'd come to understand that the reason those successes never felt good when they came around was because I wasn't happy Mm -hmm. and I always thought that when I made it as a writer when I got commissioned and when I got my money that that would be enough and I, I got all that and then I was just sort of scratching my head thinking, well, why am I still feeling the same? I thought everything else that I'd never bothered addressing would just fall, fall into place. And that, doesn't, that didn't happen. None of it did. So I had these commissions. I had this success. I was making a name for myself, but nothing in my life had changed. So when then in your whole life has been kind of your happiest point where you felt most you know, happy and sort of ease with yourself? I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm nearly 40, and if I say, well, I, I've never felt that, people are going to say, oh, come on, you can't be, you can't be serious. I don't think too many people are, are going to believe that if I say that in all those years I've never actually known happiness. Uh, I, I've known, I think, maybe happy moments. I don't think I've known happy periods. I could say at the top of my head a time that I am nostalgic for was my, uh, my first job, my Saturday job, um, I actually hated the job. Friday nights, I would really struggle with the prospect of working. I think that gave me my lifelong phobia of working uh, for people. But the people that I worked with 
were just incredible. You know, I was a wide-eyed 15-year-old and knew nothing about the world, and I was working with older people and people my own age on Saturdays. And it was just, uh, it was such a beautiful experience. I was there for three and a half years. And um, during that time, things were getting worse at home. And this was an outlet, and I began to spend more and more time with these people. And that was a, and that was a fantastic experience. Like all things, I brought it to an end when it probably didn't need to end. And that, now that's a, been a bit of a pattern in my life, uh, walking away from things. But that's probably the time in my life where I was looking back where, where, where I was uh, uh, at a time in my life or I had something in my life that I really, uh, I liked. You know, so you're saying that's down to the people. So going back to what you were saying earlier about obviously isolating yourself, and, um, especially over the last three months. So this is going to be something that, you know, you know in your head that, you know, you need to change, that you need to start making connections with people. Yeah, when you're feeling like this. I mean, there was someone uh, posted uh, something on my blog, which was very apt, I thought and they're in a sort of similar situation and when you're in this situation you it does irritate you when you're being asked how you are you know when things change i will let people know that they've changed for the better i don't think people most people don't really want to hear the answer they just ask him because they feel they need to ask and i'm saying well you don't need to ask i don't need you to ask because i don't need to be talking about the same thing every day I don't need to be sending the same text or the same emails. This is a situation I'm in. I'm aware of it. I'm strong enough to deal with it, and I'm dealing with it. Um, Why do you have to deal with that on your own, though? Why does it have to be that well, you talk to people about, you know, why can't you just sort of have normal conversations that aren't about how you're feeling? Because I don't think people let me have those normal conversations, and maybe I've done that to myself now because of, you know, the writing and because of the podcast, so people want to talk about the same things and it is so there's no let up I, and consequently I am often talking about the same thing you're in control of that though. you could change you know the flow of the conversation if you wanted to Quite I probably I probably could I, I, I'm, I'm not sure I've, I've had the energy or the inclination I think sometimes I'm just disappointed by getting the same questions but you know the the architect of that I guess has been you know has been myself um, they're asking me those questions because of what I'm talking about. If I wasn't talking about those things, they wouldn't be asking me those things. Well, and but also asking you those questions because they care about you and you know want to know that you're okay or you're not okay. But what do they do when you're telling them that you're not okay? That there's, there's not much that they can do. And I think I said this last week. I was talking to this guy on the show, and plenty of people were there for me, and I'll never forget that. But at the end of the day. No one knew what was in my head and how far into my head I had to go to try and just get myself into this position where I have a chance of turning things around. And I do have a chance of turning things around. Um, it's not even a case of in spite of what I've said. It's uh, I'm saying all these things. I'm, I'm, I'm being honest about the situation I'm in, but I'm not ready to give up because if I give up, it's going to be like this all the time and I'm not ready to live this kind of life. You know, so I am looking to get out of this, and I'm working hard enough to get out of this. I think in any other time I would have got out of it, but these aren't normal times. This is, you know, the economy's a mess. You can't just sort of start looking for a nine-to-five role, and, and by the end of your first week of uh, hunting for one, you've suddenly got a job, as used to be the case. This this is just a, a unique situation. I've never experienced this before. I meet people 30 years older than me, 
and I asked them how it was for them in the 80s and they say well no it, this is worse now what we're going through now is worse and that has been taking chunks out of me for the last three three and a half years it's it's had an impact there were lots of things that happened but the credit crunch was always there it was just in the background and so every time I try to deal with the situation it was that much harder to, to turn that situation around because I couldn't you know, like a lot of people uh, you know any any work I was doing I was on short-term contracts so they you couldn't plan long term everything was short term everything was about surviving and I wasn't used to that. I, I, I wasn't used to that. I, was always, I always had an erratic approach in my life, but somehow I muddled through. I know now that that wasn't good enough and that I was always going to come a cropper with that approach. What's going to be the difference? You spoke earlier about when you sort of were a successful writer and everything else and still wasn't happy. So say, you know, whatever point in the future you don't know, you get yourself a job, What's going to be the difference between now and then in terms of, you know, how happy you feel? I don't know. I mean, I need to get back into 9 to 5 for a number of reasons, but I think also I need that structure to my day. I think I need to be around people. Uh, as much as I dislike being around work colleagues, I think it probably do me some good now. I've lost any sharpness that I had. I also think that going back into an environment which I, you know, I freely admit I don't like, I, I don't like nine to five. I, I never have. And uh, walking away from that was a good thing. But going back to that, it's going to be a bit of a backward step, but it's something that I understand in order for my life, I think, to move forward right now, I need to go back to for, for a number of reasons. I also think going back into an environment that I don't like will give me a momentum. It'll put me back in a place that I don't like and It'll help me, I think, refocus and I'll go back to what I was doing last year when I was in my uh, last contract role where I I would get up at 6, I would be in the cafe by 8 and I would go back, to, uh, I, w- I would start work having already written two hours and I, I think turning this around, I, it, that's going to be the only way I turn it around because having the whole day to, 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 to do my stuff is, isn't, isn't working out, it's not working out. So you're saying that that's your only option, you know, for a career at the moment is to go into a nine-to-five job that you know that you're going to hate. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not a career. It's, uh, it's uh, I've never looked at nine-to-five as a career. It's something I got away from for six or seven years, and I had to go back to it after the TV uh, work stopped, and I struggled with it. But but right now, um, right now that that's that is the you know the most realistic uh, option available to me. And that's what I'm working towards, and I'm fine with that. So there is absolutely, you know, nothing else that you could do instead of that. It's just the fact that, you know, you can, you're can saying how much you dislike it and how much you, you didn't like it before, and, you're, you know, you're saying it's a step back, and, you know, I'm just trying to get my head around why you see that as your only option. Because right now I'm not going to get any TV work. The, the, the stuff that I've been writing, you know, I, the experience of the last three or four years has made me a different writer. I'm certainly not the commercial writer who was uh, getting a, a bunch of commissions. The new stuff that I'm writing has not gone down well with most producers. And I've got to ask myself whether I want to go back to writing the stuff that they want me to write, whether I'm still that kind of writer. And also, you know, I used to be a, I used to be a, a journalist and I walked away from that because I didn't enjoy it. And I'm not going to go back to something I don't enjoy. So that's not an option. 
you are going back to something you don't enjoy because you're going to go back yeah. to office work. But as a, you know, if it's just a stopgap and it's something to get you back on your feet and to pay the bills and everything else, it, well, it's a it's it's a long term stopgap. But there's other long term stopgaps that it's not the only that they're not the two choices is office work or you know writing. There's other jobs out there that you don't necessarily have to have experience for that you know might be something completely different that you might actually enjoy. Personally, I, I don't think there is. I there's very little that I enjoy, uh, and people say, "Oh, he's so, so miserable." But the thing is, the, th- the thing is, when I enjoy something, I really do enjoy it. And I would argue that I enjoy it more than the average person because it's so unusual for me to enjoy something. I'm also in a situation where, as a private tenant, you know, I can't get a I can't get a council place, so I'm paying through the nose always for, for to live in private flats. At my age, I'm not going to go and share with anyone, so it is difficult. I need a certain amount of money from a job to be able to uh, afford uh, afford my accommodation mm-hmm. which takes me to a level of earning that I'm not you know I don't have the skill set to match those earnings so I'm struggling so I go into these jobs and I'm always waiting to be found out and sometimes I do get found out at my penultimate job I did get found out and uh, it's not it's not a good way to live but I I feel if I can get that stability in my life if I can get that structure back to my life then I can turn this around I can turn my, my, my career around and rediscover my motivation my focus and do two proper hours a day of writing to, to get me back to where I was rather than four hours a day as I'm doing at the moment where maybe of those four hours one hour is good mm-hmm. but in the meantime you know I understand what you're saying that you know you need to obviously devote a lot of the time to finding work but I still think there should be some sort of balance because otherwise you're just going to, you know, every Monday morning is just going to get worse and worse if you're not doing anything else at all that, you know, that's positive and happy and just sort of, you know, that isn't about just finding a job. I'm working on my own stuff and that's not, that's not making me happy right now. Trying to get back into nine to five, that's not making me happy. This could be my life 20 years ago, to be honest, where I was just uh, completely lost. I was living at home. The strange thing about this last year is that I've returned to streets that I hadn't, you know, that were part of my life 20 years ago. The, the situation I'm in now is the situation I was almost in 20 years ago. Sometimes just feeling like I'm not going anywhere. And there are times where I'm writing really well, but they're, they're, they are literally moments. You know, I can't, I can't continue like this, so I've just got to grip my teeth and keep going i speak to people who are in the you know similar situations the problem is in my own circle of friends there is no one in my situation there is no one living alone there is no one who's renting privately uh, i have friends who who live alone but they're paying half the rent that i'm paying because they live in council flats and you know that that gives you a bit more a bit more money to to be able to do what you want to do or to to, to get out the only thing that's ever going to change that is the writing, not any nine-to-five role, not at this age looking to do any other role. I'm just not someone who likes doing a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm very set in what I like to do. Uh, I don't. The thing I hate about nine-to-five is I'm essentially going into this environment and I'm lying about not only being able to do the job, about wanting to be there. Obviously, you have to. You, you can't take a bad attitude into the place, so that's just going to undermine your colleagues. So I try to be professional when I go into these environments and often I am but it's very it's very difficult I, it's, I have to wear a mask I'm, I'm going in there and being someone that I'm not 
apart from all of that, you know, you know, you're talking about writing in terms of making money and obviously office work in terms of making money. What do you like to do? Or what did you used to like to do that, you know, not going to say hobbies, but like stuff that just you enjoy doing that feels good that, you know, when are you kind of most at peace or just sort of happy with the world? I don't know, really. Um, I'm, I feel fairly relaxed when I'm in the cafe but I think I'm in there so with such regularity now that I probably don't enjoy it in the way that I used to enjoy it I'm there now because I have to be there because it's the one place where I can unwind and you know, get my thoughts together and, and work I never write from the flat which is, uh, which is wrong you say have to be all the time. You have to be in the yeah. cafe. You have to do yeah, yeah. it. So who's you know you're putting all these rules on yourself. Yeah, yeah. I have to be there. I have I have to be in that place. I can't. I, I find it very hard being in this flat. Okay, but there's have, you know why there though? Why can't? What stops you from going to sit in a park or just going to a different cafe or you know? Oh God, in a park. <laughs> uh, not, 1995 was the last time I sat in a park because I was being hassled by my dad. He kept saying every day, why are you not out? It's, it's the summer. Why don't you go to the park? I went to the park. I sat there for 45 minutes and I'm thinking, what am I doing in the park? Why am I in the park? You know, all these morons, every time the sun comes out, straight away they're in the park. I will never, for as long as I live, sit in another park again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a point of never sitting in another park. All right, okay, not necessarily a park, but there's... You know, you live in London, there's a million other places you could go and, and be. You don't have to be anywhere. Yeah, I keep getting that. I mean, I've, I've had that a couple of times the last week, people telling me to go to museums. I think everyone is under the impression that every museum in London is free, which is not the case anymore. But again, because I, I've grown up in this city, I don't have that curiosity about this city that other people have. I, I've, I've, I've lived all my life about 15 minutes away from the Tate. I've been there twice. I have no interest in in going into a museum it's it's i did all that i, I think i visited just about every museum by the time i'd left school art galleries i'm not into art parks i've already explained um yeah i don't have that curiosity i don't go mad for this city it's where i live it's where i exist if i can find a place that can help me relax and unwind then i will go to that place and this cafe does that better than any other place i'm sure there may be a better place out there in the city somewhere but right now i don't have the energy to, to to go and find it this place took me long enough to find have you always been somebody that's been you know you sort of speak about your week and obviously it's quite routine and you do the kind of same things and have you always been somebody that's needed to have that sort of routine and i don't know i know that in the last year i've certainly got my routine well yeah in the last year i've certainly got this uh routine i had it in the hotel i, I kept myself sane getting up every morning well i say sane i i I kept myself, uh, whatever I kept myself, I, I had a set routine on those days. It was just literally back and forth. I don't think I spent more than an hour in that room during the days. I just felt it was important to keep moving. And that's, I've, I've gone from being someone who used to be able to stay in a house all day when I was younger to, to not being able to stay in a house, to, to constantly need to be on the move, constantly going everywhere before you know, with my bag and my laptop and a book and the iPod and just not stopping, you know, just, just 
keep on moving. The only place I can stop is the cafe. That's that's the only place where I can sit down. So in between the flat and your cap on an average day, then where are you? I'm up and down the uh, the local uh, high road. I take two hour walks every day. Come back to the flat. I'll I'll I'll, I'll have a workout most days. It's just trying to stay, you know, trying to stay active, trying to keep my mind active. But, um, but doing exactly the same thing every single day. Doing exactly the same thing every single day. I'm actually, I feel quite proud that I'm, I left the flat today at quarter to five and I, I had this particular route that I walked today and I thought, I, I know the route now well enough to know how long it's going to take me. So I think, okay, so I leave now quarter to five, I'll be in the cafe by six. I turn up at the cafe dead on six. I'm thinking, yeah, you know, I got this. This is really good. I I I I know where I'm going to be at what time exactly now. It's that's how routine my life has got right now. It must be very handy. <laughs> yeah, different routes. I, I maybe I've built up to three or four different uh, walking routes now over the last couple of weeks, which I'm particularly proud of. Each each route is more boring than the last. I'm kind of walking, and it's about 45 minutes into the walk, and I'm thinking, man, this is boring. It, this is it a, takes you 45 really minutes walk. to walk to the cafe? No, it take, I can get to the cafe in six minutes. I'm saying my walk. Oh, this is your actual Jeez. just general walk. Yeah, so you, yeah. Are you sort of seeing anything picturesque on your walk, so you're just walking through the street? I, I'm seeing the Vauxhall Tower coming up, which is uh, really interesting. The rest of that development of Vauxhall St. George's Wharf is absolute rubbish. I was seeing that type of uh, structure 20 years ago when I worked in the Docklands, but the uh, Vauxhall Tower looks like a lighthouse. It's 40 floors, and I think that's going to be amazing. I can't get my head around the fact that that's happening on my doorstep. And uh, across from that is the Riverside Apartments that I was convinced uh, I would move into in my younger days. Beautiful white uh, and glass building. Uh, I don't ever think I'm going to move into that place now. I will pass it. I still have, you know, if if I ever made any money, that's the first thing I'd... In, I, my, my first inquiry would be how much to live there. So, these, so you take this walk every day? Not the same walk. As, I, as I've just said, I've now built up to four walks. Okay, no, I'm just, I'm just trying to work it out. So, so four walks, so what would you do a different yeah. one on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday? Uh, well, actually, I've got quite lazy this week. I've done the same walk every single day. So you do the same 45-minute walk? Is it no, it's 40, 45 minutes to one end and 45 minutes back. So you just, and I go, hang on, what's at the end? What's your destination? What are you walking towards? I've actually started walking towards my old school. Oh, OK. Past the dog's home, past back to see dog's home. Um, and it's now, the old school is now uh, one side of it. One side is a, a prep school for uh, for boys age 3 to 13, which I find rather strange. Uh, 13, boys hit puberty at 11. Why not just send the 11, 12 and 13-year-olds to the next school? Why do the younger kids have to be around boys who are hitting puberty? I don't understand that. That's something that struck me today. So, and on the other side is, uh, is our the second school building, and that's now Flats. So I've been walking up to there. It's near Battersea Park. Then I go around this roundabout and make sure no one's uh, seeing me turn around and walk back the opposite way. And sometimes sometimes I'll be walking past people at bus stops who just see me walk past them. So uh, it looks a little odd. But it probably just looks like you've forgotten something. Yeah, yeah. So what about your other destinations on your other walks? 
I take this rather punishing walk from here to Clapham Junction, which involves walking uphill for about 30 minutes on a hot day. That can be quite, that can be difficult. Um, Clapham Junction, is that, I'm, I'm not from London. Clapham Junction, that just sounds like a road. Clapham Junction is, Clapham Junction is in it. It's, uh, it fell to the riots, but everyone in Clapham Junction uh, wanted it to uh, be called Clapham. All the all the news reports were saying Clapham got hit. It wasn't Clapham. It was Clapham Junction. So I walked I walked to Clapham Junction and then I walked back, and that that takes me about an hour and a half there and back. That's a that's a good walk. It's not an enjoyable walk. It's uphill. That's uh, it's not an enjoyable walk. What's your reason for doing the walk? Exercise, you know, exercise. Um, I, I don't know, I, I'm aware that when you get into certain situations and, you know, what I went through, that I need to stay active, you know, physically active, and I do feel better for it. You know, it's, it's only a, a marginal improvement, but it's, it's enough, you know, it's enough, and I'll keep doing it so long as I keep feeling that. Because it has to be, you know, an unpleasant walk, though. Could you not make your exercise more fun? Um, I mean, sorry, I don't mind walking. I've always walked. You know, my dad walked a lot. Uh, we walked everywhere. Last summer, I walked seven miles just to do a five-minute gig, which, uh, you know, was, was ridiculous. I recognised that was ridiculous. I don't know what else to do right now. Do you understand, like, you know, considering your situation, that a lot of what you're feeling is, you know, completely normal to that, and that it would be very strange if, in your situation, you was kind of skipping around really happy all day. You know, you're not in an easy situation, so you're, you know, you're battling against all that as well. I know that, but I, I, I don't know how to change this. I'm, I'm throwing everything at it, but every time I'm, it's, it's getting harder and harder because I have less and less energy, and I'm finding it harder to see the positives in what, you know, I'm doing, the good thing about going to, and, and people might be listening to this and thinking, uh, you know, maybe this guy should be back in the hospital. No, I, I, I know that I have made significant improvements that go in to counselling every week for seven months gave me, uh, you know, it's a bit of a, I don't like the term, the tools to recognise the signs, you know, I, I understand things better now when things are happening to me. When I have that drop in energy, I know what that is, and uh, you know, I know that I need to attack it. I know that I can't allow myself to fall into that slump. I know that that is the, you know, the the, the depression rearing its ugly head. I'm, I'm I'm aware of those things now. In the past, I didn't really understand all those things, but you know, I need something to change, and I do believe it's going to take one thing to change things one opening but I'm you know 15 months down the road and I'm still waiting for that opening and it's not coming and this is this lack of change is uh, it's difficult it really is difficult can you recognise though well you kind of said you could earlier I guess but the fact that you know exactly what you've just said that mentally you know how far you have come and I know you feel like you're completely right now but you know compared to sort of now to you know, how you would have dealt with this situation a few years ago and how mentally was, not mentally yours, but, you know, in your own head she was a couple of years ago, that, you know, you have come on from that. Yeah, I do. Did you give yourself credit for that, though? I don't think I do. I don't think I give myself credit for, for much and I just don't really feel inclined to. I feel tired, you know. I really do feel tired. I've, I've watched my life change. 
and I'm doing my best to turn it around, but it's not happening. And I, I, I think living on my own hasn't helped. I don't think it's helped. I, I think it's arguably, it's certainly uh, accentuated the situation, I think. You say that it's not happening, which obviously, you know, I, I get what you mean. In fact, you've been in this situation now, you know, for the last 15 months and you're still looking for work and, and that's not happening. But, you know, again, going back to giving yourself credit for it, considering everything that's happened and, and how close everything happened as well, kind of one thing after another. And, you know, it, your life is happening, but it's just happening very, very slowly. You know, you couldn't, if maybe if you've got a job kind of, you know, 10 months ago or something, you wouldn't have been ready for that. Going in, back into an office environment, it would have just probably just done you because mentally, you know, you know you're going back in something you don't enjoy. You know, you're having to get yourself to a point where, as you said earlier, you know that, all right, you're not going to like it, but you can kind of deal with that now. Well, I, I mean, I've only been looking to get back into nine to five probably for the last uh, five months. Uh, I took six months off deliberately. Um, if anything, it, that that break came too late. I think if if I if I'd stopped a couple of years ago and taken the break that I took, I think uh, a lot of this, much of this situation wouldn't have happened. It has, and there's no there's you know there's no point looking back. Um, I took the break when I took it, and even then I had to be encouraged by friends to take it. It's, it was the first time first time in my life that I downed tools and even then I found it very difficult even now I can say that I didn't really rest which was the original intention, I didn't read as much as I wanted to read I did far too many things, I just wanted things to, to, to start changing I want to see all the effort that I put in come to something I don't know whether that's mentally tired or physically tired but you do a lot of walking probably, probably that, yeah, four different routes <laughs> take out of anyone but I think though you know I mean I know obviously five months for you it, it obviously must seem like a very very long time and, and it is a long time but you know this this isn't a situation you're going to be in forever and lots and lots of people wouldn't be doing what you're doing and wouldn't be putting the effort into finding a job that, that you know that you're doing they would have just sort of crumbled by now and just thought oh, I'm not even going to bother and you are bothering and you're doing it every day and you know obviously yeah that is really tiring but you know, that will, you know, that will pay off. And you say, you know, it's a case of that, you know, the right opening at the right time. I've just never experienced a situation that took so long to change. Even when there were bereavements happening, things felt like they were moving faster. But you could, you could change that in the sense of, you know, I know that the jobs can't, you know, you're doing everything you can with that, but... You know, if, if you are doing exactly the same things every single day, and I know you've got your four different routes, but it's still, you know, very similar things every single day, then, you know, that time is going to seem slower. You know, you're perfectly in control of changing your routine up a bit and doing something different. Uh, I don't know if I've got the energy right now to come up with a fifth route. Three of the three of the new routes have been introduced in the last fortnight. No, no more yeah. routes, no more walking. I'm talking about something completely different. I don't know. I've, it's been very difficult to stay rooted in this flat. It's strange that of the last four years, this has been my most stable period. And uh, it's, it's, it's not been the hardest period. As I say, that was, the, that was the hotel. But this has been my most stable period. And that urge to just pack stuff 
in boxes and put everything back in storage and just go. It's still there. It's still in me, what I'm trying to do. And I think I've done it. That's one of the ways that I've changed is to learn from the past, to, to learn that all the moving around did me no favors at all. I'd never laid down any roots. But I find myself back in a community that I'd left years ago and I'm come back here and I think maybe initially it was the right thing but I just feel jaded now seeing the same things every day, the same sound seeing the same people trying to avoid the same trouble in the same place that I don't like being in as you say doing the same things and I want that to change and you know if if I had the cash I would I would just up stakes and go somewhere else and I think it would have to be somewhere new somewhere I'd not really that I didn't really know um, new places, new faces, new shops. You know, walk into a, a new news agent and spend a couple of minutes dithering over whether I could afford to buy the Guardian or not, and then leave that shop without buying the Guardian. You know, you go on forty-five minute walks today. There's nothing to stop you going out in the morning and you know spending the day somewhere else. Let me tell you about the uh, the walk that I've been doing this week. It cuts right through uh, an industrial estate and the. Uh, and Battersea Power Station, there's nothing at Battersea Power Station. So it's kind of, it's like walking through the set of the Sweeney. It is really grim. But there's something about that that I really like. And I like walking by the river. I've never but, seen the uh, Sweeney. I've only started watching it recently. It's, uh, it's okay. I think it was probably on the first born. Uh, quite possibly. But could you not walk somewhere and, you know, just spend a few hours somewhere before walking back instead of walking, you know, literally round the roundabout and coming home? You're not going to take yourself off somewhere different. I don't know what I would do. Go and write somewhere different. Go and search, you know, I've got Wi-Fi in other places as well. You can go and search jobs in a different environment. The, the places that have ha, have Wi-Fi are, are crap cafes. And, and the problem with this country is it's not a cafe society. They, they, they introduced coffee when Friends became famous. And, and, and I keep saying this on the show. I'm not. I'm not spending time in a cafe where they have sofas. That's not a cafe. The, the, the place I go to, I like because coffee isn't a big deal. It's cheap. You don't have to pay through the nose for good coffee. That's the mistake that people make. They want to pay three pounds for some coffee that you ask for in Italian, which is bloody ridiculous. It's London. I'm you know, sure there's another cafe similar to there your aren't. cafe. There are. Uh, well, they are. There are. They're, they're round here. This is you know the the, the the Portuguese have really turned this area around, but. Uh, <laughs> The cafe, the cafes I used to go to in Soho years ago shut down. The, uh, there was a brilliant cafe in Victoria that shut down and made way for a noodle bar. This is this is what London does. This is it's everything is Starbucks, Cafe Nero, uh, Costa Coffee. It's very very difficult. I don't believe that there's not another cafe in the whole of London that's a decent cafe. Good, good cafes and good coffee. There, I, I don't believe there is. I don't believe there is. Off the top of my head, I can only think of three or four. Yeah, but there might be one you've never been to. It's London. Of course, of course there is. But I'm, I'm trying to get this podcast out every Thursday. How much time do I have on my hands? I've got the, the podcast. i got the four routes. But you incorporate your four routes with, you know, somewhere different. Just walk a bit further and stay there for a bit. That means no. That means you're going to stick to your Battersea Power Station and Clapham Junction. They sound really depressing. How did the counselling go, Dan? It went okay. I always, uh, I think you go to these things, you feel a little negative. And I, I, I was telling, uh, I was telling this anecdote without any chuckling. Oh right, yeah. Uh, 
Um, I, 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 was, I was telling her about uh, this new walk I've got, walking walking all the way from here up to our old school in Battersea Park Road. It's a, it's a decent walk. gets a bit industrial around there. Yeah. And um, you remember we had two sides, didn't we? We did, yeah, we did. Well, either side of the road, that's, that's you're on the back. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and the left-hand side opposite Battersea Dogs Home, that became a very posh school, Newton Prep, which has been featured in the standard in uh, recent months. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just mentioned that I, I, I thought it was rather strange that that school is for three to 13 years old, you know, boys of three to 13. And I just find that, I find that a bit strange. You know, from 11, I was saying to her, you, you, you hit puberty. Kids who are going through puberty, what should they be doing? You know, what are they doing in that same building as kids who are much younger? I don't understand that. And I don't know. I think it seemed a bit inappropriate. I think she seemed a bit discomforted oh, she by that. Frightened by it, was she? Yeah, that he's off. Well, I wouldn't say frightened. I just <laughs> she, she went very, very quiet. There might have been an inappropriate comment to make. I'm just. Yeah. I mean, do you think she would have thought it an odd thing for 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 one of her patients to say? No, because no, no, because you think it's your old school building, so it's got relevance, isn't it? So I do take your point, no, but they should be they're well separated. I bet, but they must be then. You know, like they can't have three year olds and eleven year olds together. Yeah, no, I'm talking about, it's not actually 11-year-olds, it's, that's the, that's the thing. We've got, for example, back in the 70s and 80s, you had infants in junior school or sometimes they were mixed up, but you went from 4 to 11. Yeah. At 11, your body starts changing. Oh, my, 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 if you actually listen to what I'm saying, Mick, I am listening. <laughs> uh, the point I'm making is, what are the 12, 12 and 13-year-olds doing there? Their bodies are changing, they're starting to get hair. I mean, I remember, I mean, I didn't even think that you should have been in our class at school. When I first saw you, I thought you were a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with, with a boy. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you, arguably, you should have been at college, not not secondary school with your body. I mean, I don't know what age you hit puberty at. You turned up, you were all done and dusted. You were ready. You were a man. Yeah, but you know, if you know, I never changed, did I? From 11 to 16. Not really, I no. I was shaving at 11. I was shaving at 16. Brilliant. <laughs> no, but... Yeah, but but then, Dan, it's the way these... It's a middle-class to upper-class thing, isn't it? That's the way they work. They know how the, the rules are. It's alien to us because we were never brought up in that that way, you know? Maybe because they spent so much money on renovating that building, they thought, well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get our money's worth out of it. We'll stick the 11 to 13-year-olds in here as well. I, I just find it strange to have that 10-year spread. That's the point I was no, trying I to make to her. Yeah, 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 no, I agree. But what I'm saying is, but that's the way the, the um, private school sector works. I agree. I think it's just ridiculous. How could you have a three? Unless they're, they're brother and sister, you know, it just doesn't make no sense, does it? Three-year-old, they're barely, you know, talking and walking around, really, are they? At that age, oh, I wasn't. Yeah, it's mm. it's, uh, it's 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 very strange. But uh, got got some emails here, Mick. I'll I'll read them out. Oh, yeah. uh, Pete uh, Pete uh, emailed me after last week's show, and uh, Pete is uh, he's he's a northerner who supports Tottenham, and in our case, you originally didn't you? You, you supported uh, well. We grew up in the 70s. We supported big northern clubs originally, my, in your case, yeah, my, before yeah, switching to Arsenal. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. But mine was through my father, so I've got no, I've got no yeah. on it. Yeah, no. And mine was through mine was through my cousin. I didn't have any yeah, idea no. where Liverpool was, but it's unusual, I think, for us as Southerners to to come across Northerners who who support Southern clubs. And Pete's finally given me uh, the background to this because he also follows Benfica. Oh, yeah, before you go um, on, did he mention about the uh, game at the weekend? He's been very quiet about that. Strange, isn't it? A lot of them have been quiet about that. A lot of internet connections have been dead in the uh, North 17 area of London. Anyway, go on, Dan. Uh, please, please go Pete, on. Pete says, I owe you an explanation of Spurs Benfica. Benfica is easy. Ex-girlfriend is Portuguese. 
Benfica. So went to a Stadio da Luz a couple of times and got hooked. Magnificent stadium in history. Uh, Pete says the Spurs connection very co- is very complicated. He first became interested in Spurs at school in Bolton. One of uh, his fellow pupils was a Spurs supporter and uh, got one of our teachers in a French lesson to tell us all about the double win inside. Mm-hmm. As the teacher couldn't speak French and I, I was just filling in, this obviously seemed a good way of passing the time and I was fascinated. However, in those days there was only regional football so I didn't see them much on TV so I didn't follow them at school. Um, uh, Pete goes on to say uh, he wasn't all that bothered about football at school. Our games teacher discovered Alan Ball uh, Keith Walton Home also went to our school, but didn't seem quite as keen on me. I became a bit of a hard man, and I was stopped from playing football after a spell of six games, two red cards and three yellow cards, which included breaking someone's arm Ooh. and putting a, teach- putting a teacher into the school railings too. He must be a big lump, then. He doesn't look that big on it in his pictures, well, I've got to say. No, but but, yeah, uh, he must be a fair lump to put someone into the railings and break other people's arms, get sent off. He must be charging around like a lunatic. I wonder, as a result of me saying he doesn't look that big, whether Pete will change his Twitter picture yeah. and into you know something that maybe shows off his his big frame. Yeah, well, um, he comes it, down and gives you a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's not that far from us, is he? Uh, well, not that far from me. You you don't actually live in London. That's right. um, I was I was working in Dumfries, home of Queen of the South, and a couple of people I worked with were Spurs supporters. So when I came down south for meetings, I started to go. When I moved down south, I started to attend regularly and got then uh, then got a season ticket. First season was nineteen ninety one. Uh, the cup win, oh. after which it, it's been <laughs> fairly thin picking, sprinkled with the odd brilliant player like Gascoigne, Klinsman and Ginola until recently. I still can't believe the last couple of seasons. Hope that solves the mystery. Yours, Pete. Yeah, it, does. Um, yeah, it, does. it does to me anyway. It makes a lot of sense. It does. Um, I, I was saying to Pete, uh, that year, I think, it, you know, Maradona was tailing off. His career was coming to an end, wasn't it? Um, and there was, a, there was a sort of power vacuum at the top. And I, I think Gascoigne, for that year, that year alone, he was, unbelievable. was the world's best yeah, player he was unbelievable fella, wasn't he? that year. He, he was un- he was incredible. The, we can go on about skulls, and I'm a massive Paul Skulls fan, but we've never, I think, in our lifetime, seen an English player like Gascoigne. No, he was unreal, wasn't he? He was. Th- he could he, he he could do everything. He could pass the ball almost as well as Hoddle. He could go around players like no English player I'd seen before. Yeah, I think the only, the only thing he had against him was his yeah. gait. You know the way he ran. Yeah, he ran yeah, very yeah. Quick and far. You know, I mean, like short steps. And he sometimes would overreach for the ball. You know what I mean? And Messi does the same, but Messi gets, seems to get to the ball, whereas Gascoigne would always over, overplay it that little bit too far. And he could, that's why I think he used to pick up silly little niggly injuries and stuff like that, you know? But what a yeah, fantastic, yeah. fantastic player. Incredible player. Uh, email here from uh, Nick, uh, Nick MB. Uh, on the, uh, for the Basics Value uh, Hall of Fame, uh, Nick's submission is, uh, well, he says, one of the worst things I've ever eaten was Tesco Value cornflakes. Looks like soggy sawdust, tastes like cardboard with drips running gently across it. I was a student, determined to make the money last, but no saving is worth that. Um, I don't know if positive reviews are allowed in this Hall of Fame, but Tesco Value milk chocolate was surprisingly edible. Probably slowly dissolves your kidneys, though. Enjoying the show as ever, Nick. Mm, I've had them. I've had them cornflakes. My mum used to buy them. What about now? Your current lifestyle now? Yeah, no, do, I, do you have any I, 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 value stuff? No, no, no. I'm like uh, either named or you know, like mid-range. You know, like the mid-range stuff. So it's one or the other. Yeah, but yeah well, I used to have them cornflakes. I know exactly what he means. They're disgusting. My mum used to buy the frosted ones. Yeah, and they yeah. were just like um, you know, packaging around computers and stuff like that. Well, I don't know, what it's, yeah. you know like styrofoam, whatever it's called. Vile, horrible, and you know you still eat them because he was hungry. So horrible stuff brings back horrible memories as well. Not good. You know I mean, that's why I think that's why I try not to buy the basic stuff. 
Uh, your your pal uh, Two Rivers Nine. Oh, Billy. Are, yeah. uh, Jason, Billy, whatever. He's got more. Uh, got more names than uh, God knows what. More names than uh, Zimbabwe. God. Our hapless uh, fire warden. Um, he's uh, he's emailed uh, this week. Yeah. Uh, regarding Donny V. Oh. Um, he says he's done it after arguably the toughest year of his life. He's bloody done it. The broken genius of Blue Island, Illinois. Donny V has finally seen the release of his ill-fated solo album, wrapped around my middle finger became a reality. As you well know, after all the false starts and disasters, I seriously had my doubts about this album ever seeing the light of day. Upon my return from work this Monday, there it lay on the doormat. Such was my joy that I don't mind admitting that I openly wept when I opened the package. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a fantastic album, very upbeat compared to the introspective and somber work shown in the latter enough is enough albums. I, I still don't know. Okay, oh, he's actually given me the phonetic breakdown of that. Enough's enough. Right. I don't know how to say it. Yeah. It almost feels like a celebration of getting through this most blighted of years. I hope you don't mind, but I would like to expand this uh, on this slightly unused Donny story to inspire both yourself and other listeners who are struggling out there at the moment. To give newer listeners a brief insight, I think we should highlight the uncanny similarities that we have identified between both yourself and America's most underrated singer-songwriter, the dalliances with the big time, the hugely successful early chapters of your creative careers, followed by the you know what, followed followed by the steady decline into the pretty desperate situations that you both find yourselves in. I'd like to know if Donnie V has to work with the Mickey Boy type figure. Um, I have identified three key events, writes Two Rivers from Donnie's most troubled year that can we can all hopefully empathise with and learn something from. First, having to suffer the indignity and utter humiliation of being labelled the worst ever song overkill submission on a podcast going out to 16,000 listeners. I accept that you probably didn't realise quite how badly Donnie was losing when I, when I first introduced him to the listenership last year, but I have to admit to being surprised at your treatment treatment of him this is a man who knows about failing daniel you're kicking of him whilst he was down must have hurt is there any greater pain than being kicked whilst you're down as a champion of the broken i'd hoped for better from you daniel undeterred by your knock our broken-hearted rocker from illinois soldiered on uh two rivers then goes on about an eight night tour of the uk playing uh shitholes like the crumlin in wales and vic spikers bar in colville <laughs> where's where, where's colville god knows sounds like the midlands to me uh, an eight-night tour where the audience figures never exceeded 30. <laughs> the, highest, Love it. the highest recorded attendance was 27 at the Diamond Working Men's Club in Sutton in Asheville. Uh, best night of the tour for my money. Uh, I attended several of the shows on this tour and thoroughly enjoyed them, but I've been watching Donny play for the best part of 25 years now, and I could see from his face that this was breaking him night after night. Putting the disappointing attendance figures aside, I cannot begin to imagine the financial spanking he must have taken, having flown him and his band over from Illinois to play these shows. Um, but did the enough snuff frontman decide to cash in his nectar points and just walk away as you had threatened to do on Twitter this week? No, he got back on the horse and kept going. The various uh, mess-ups and delays surrounding the release of the album were numerous. As mentioned earlier, I was getting so tired of reading the excuses that I'd thrown the towel in myself and never expected to see the album be become a reality. In my head, it was over. I think everyone thought it was over, except for the one man whose life depended on getting this album out. Never mind the Morsley Hospital's well-being... God and Ponzi nonsense, Daniel. All you need to do is look at Donnie's journey this year to realise that you can and will turn your situation around and ultimately find fulfilment back in your life again. Uh, this guy hasn't got the luxury of iTunes, Jellycast and Stitcher Radio that you have at your disposal. He's got one shot on turning things around, resting on an album available only through Amazon. You have to view your position as a strong one, Daniel. Your parallel life experiences 
would suggest to me that getting through, getting the secretarial role you need and securing the elusive book deal are just around the corner. Finally, some very fitting words from Donnie at what you'll be relieved to hear at the end of this ridiculously long indulgence submission. Once my life was darkness, now it's held in the light. Yeah, everything's in colour now, no longer black and white. <laughs> well... <laughs> And a message for you, Mick, uh, from Two Rivers. Many thanks to Boydie for giving me some tough love on last week's show. As I write this on Wednesday evening, I am sat in anticipation of the first meeting of the Fire Wardens tomorrow after the recent evacuation shambles. Hopefully I will be cleared for a return to duty next week. That's good to hear, isn't it? Yeah, but he's, he's, I like the way he draws comparisons to you and uh, this Donny V character. And I might, I, I might have to go now support this Donny V by buying this. It's on Amazon, you say, yeah? Apparently so, oh, yeah. Right, What's the name of the album, do you know? Uh, wrapped Around My Middle Finger, right, I I'll, think. I'll, I'll get that now. The consequence of all this walking are that I've, uh, I've got muscular legs, so I'm hoping to take these muscular legs forward with me. I'm hoping to go on to sort of better things. You know, and despite what you know the things that I've said on here. The important thing is that I, that, you know, I want to turn this around. You know, I want to be happy, and I, I never really said that before. Um, you know, back in the old life, because I never thought about it. I just assumed that happiness would fall into my lap when I started becoming successful, but it didn't, and that left me scratching my head. That's what I learned. It can't be like that again. Um, I don't want to be successful and not be happy. I'd rather be happy and unsuccessful. But I think as well, and it's I, a case of you recognising it's not that, you know, it's not about wanting to turn it around. You're in the process of turning it around. As slow as it I mean, is, I, you are doing it. You are turning it around from where you was previously. And that's where you don't give yourself credit. You, you, you know. Well, I don't feel it. I don't feel it. That's the thing. I don't feel that progress. I, I, I'm sure there must be progress, but I, I don't feel it. That's the problem. I want to start feeling something. But if, you know, if kind of like off that film and some ghost come and took you back to those days in the hotel or something else, you, you surely would then be able to see the difference that, you know, things are, are better now and that in your own head at least, you're able to deal with things a lot better now. You're stronger and, you know, you know those kind of tools for bringing yourself out of it if you get yourself sort of into a bit of depression or whatever else, that in that sense, you know, you are turning that around. Yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed that it took took me so long to to get to this stage I'm disappointed that I put myself through the things I put myself through but uh, well, then maybe you, know, you had to in order to get to this stage people reach it you know this whole thing of self-actualization and, and it's not something that people reach until you know like you that they're really old that they're, they're what sorry oh old. yeah like middle-aged I am middle. I felt middle aged since I think 30, every, as soon as I turned thirty six, the countdown to forty started. You could kind of do that thing though with your legs um, in like the Sunday supplements where they advertise like the old men's kind of trousers. If your legs are looking good, that could be a different career change apart from nine to five. Expect it pays really well. I, I guess I, I could do that. I, t- to be honest, I am. I, I suppose one of the things I'll need to address in the next few years is at what point do I make that move to elasticated trousers? Probably quite soon. Probably quite soon. You're already doing uh, your, um, your roller necks, so it's kind of <laughs> logical step. But the, the roller neck aged me. I was I was shocked at how much it aged me. I started watching Columbo recently, and I, I just looked like one of the guest stars of, of, a, of a particular episode of Columbo when I put that top on. 
But, you know, when your aunt starts dressing you, what do you expect? <sighs> I think the starting point for all of this and all this uh, cliched, as it sounds, soul-searching was obviously the, the, the breakup 15 months ago. I think when someone leaves you, it's humiliating. But, you know, I can't pretend that I haven't left anyone before. And it's not that this made me understand what those other people went through, you know, because I knew that when I left people that it wasn't a nice thing but this time I was on the wrong end of that and it's it's humiliating it's like almost someone is saying you're not good enough and well that's what they are saying you're not good enough for me your, your parents didn't do a good job with you so it's, it's a shameful thing it, it's a shameful thing and that was my starting point but it was also about appreciating and trying to understand how I got there and I got there losing a number of people in a very short space of time and I just kept going and I kept going and I kept going and I never stopped to think about it. And you know, I've, I've tried to understand that. I've tried to learn from those things. I've tried to understand how those bereavements uh, affected me, what impact they had on my last relationship. And now I'm here and I, you know, I feel... I feel different. I don't think you can necessarily say that you're stronger because of these experiences. You're different and you have to find a different way of coming back from these things. And this is where I am now. Yeah, I'm trying to move forward. I think, I hope that there is a day when I can find that happiness that I want. I hope this second, you know, I'm hoping it's the second half of my life. Well, I'm not even sure if I want the second. I heard someone say, um, I, I was listening to an interview the other day with some guy who was in his early 40s and the presenter said to him, well, I hope the second half of your life is as, you know, as good, every bit as good as the first. That's, that's unlikely given that, you know, beyond 60, you're going to be struggling really physically. So if, 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 this, if, if I'm two thirds into my life, I hope the third of my life, I hope the next 20 years are brilliant. That's what I'm hoping for. I will never forget this period. And I, I, when I say that, I hope that by that, I, I don't mean I'm going to dwell on it. I hope that this period allows me to appreciate whatever I might find in future, if I find something that makes me happy, that I will appreciate it even more because of what I've gone through. Because where I am right now, I can look back at certain periods of my life and they weren't necessarily perfect. They weren't necessarily periods spent with the right person. But there were aspects of that, those earlier lives that were close, I think, to where I need to be, to what I want, to what I think I would appreciate now. You know, to, to be going into an environment where you, you're calm. And one of the things I learned is that a lot of my success came down to because I was with one particular person. Now, I'm not, you know, I wasn't right for that person. They deserved better than what I was at the time. But that person gave me a real peace of mind. I knew where I was with that person. And they had to deal with... Uh, I could be a real, you know, pain in the ass. I could be, you know, my OCDs at times were out of control. But the success I got was one of the things I realized was because that person, you know, kept me together and I wouldn't have had that success without them. And uh, in a way that was selfish. I, I don't think I was really that aware of it. I was so wrapped up in my own life, my own work that I probably didn't realize it. Realizing that now I know that I can't do that to someone again in the, in the future. But there were aspects of that life that gave me a peace of mind that, that was good for me. And I think that is what I need to find. And I think this time, because of the last three or four years, I think I would appreciate it more.
And who knows, I guess if I'm with someone and you're only paying half the rent, then I could probably start the podcast <laughs> up again, you know? <laughs> probably buy better equipment. That's true. Sound less nasal. I might have some more rhinoplasty, I don't know. This time I might pay for it. I don't think I'd give up the uh, the basics range life straight away. I'd probably give my, I'd, I'd count myself down. I'd give myself a day a month to just, you know, a cut-off day. I'd say this particular day, this is the last time I'm going to have a, a tin of basics range cream of tomato soup this is it and I'm never going back to this again and I'd probably keep an empty tin in the house just to remind me of where I you know, how far I'd come because of this that I could appreciate any good that that, 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 that may come to me in uh, in later life not, not, not too much later you know not too much later I don't think it'll be too much later I think it'd be a lot sooner than you think Email from the uh, lovely William uh, Stafford. Copyright, uh, uh, Mickey Boyd. Copyright, Mickey Boyd. Yes, I hope you are in good health and spirits. Uh, Yesterday, I attended an interview for a part-time job in the library service. It was a good excuse to dress up and wear my new tie, except there wasn't a job. There was potentially a job that may or may not become available in the next few weeks. In other words, this this was a time-wasting exercise. The panel was comprised of three women who would not be out of place in the opening scene of Macbeth, or as the three fates of uh, Greek mythology. Yet again, as soon as my bum hit the seat, my mouth ran wild. I answered every question as though I was Russell Brand playing just a minute. I don't think my answers were that bad, and some of them must have come near the mark. And Clotho... Oh, I can't pronounce these. Lachesis and Atropos seemed to be well rehearsed in their nodding and smiling and jotting things down. Half an hour later, I was on my way to the bus stop with a promise that a decision would be made later in the day and a telephone call would be made. No call came. Perhaps it was my new tie. These places are awful when they tell you they're going to call and they don't call. It, it does give you a, an insight into what kind of people you're dealing with, doesn't and also, it? Mick? Yeah, why, why are they sort of got him there on a false premise that you know there's a job or there might be a job? Well, he's a total waste of his time, and oh, I, I couldn't be asked for that. That's that's one thing. I'm so lucky at the minute, thank God, touch wood, that I haven't got to look for a job because that would kill me. If I if I was William, I'd just turn up and start the job. Yeah. See if any of them got the bottle to tell him he hasn't got the yeah. job. Yeah, more likely frightened by his intelligence, then you know. Yeah. Or someone like me to turn up using like just like two syllable words. That's what they need. They need someone a bit thick. I can lift a box. That'll do. Yeah, we'll have him. He's good. I suspect you can lift many uh, lift many boxes. Yeah, but poor old William. I'm not sure William can lift a box or three or whatever. But he's more too intelligent for him. They're frightened of him, intimidated by his uh, um, cerebral uh, fantasticness. Keep going, Mr. Stafford. Keep going. Uh, we've got uh, an email here uh, from the Shogun. Paul Gaffey, oh, right. our, yeah, yeah. Uh, our, our, our man banging his way through, through Japan. Through the Far East. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> he's, he's, he's incredible. Yeah. The Shogun writes, I was right to refrain from attaching a moniker to the tear-sodden shoulder of last week's young lady. The melding of minds proved harder than the act of physical unity. Regardless, the dalliance provided respite from the soreness inflicted by the Cameroonian. I have to admit that we are still in contact and the reprise could be on the cards. If it does occur, I'll be sure to keep the Skype logged off. I must say your comments on last week's show were again remarkably insightful and can only come from a man who has planted the signpost in many a transcontinental inroad. The foray into the racially unknown, blinkered by a possible lack of fashion awareness, is existent within a different culture, was spot on. Obviously there are all kinds of foreign men out here as well as different types of Japanese women, and while I would say that I have encountered a rainbow of ladies 
in terms of their motivations for dating outside their race, there will always be a group that are inaccessible to me specifically because of it. But as you might have guessed, this doesn't really dampen my spirits much. I don't think we'll be able to bring the Shogun back to these shores, Mick. I no. think he's enjoying himself too much out there, isn't he's he? He's not going to get the action over here that he's getting near, is he? <laughs> he's not. Like you said, for his own, own admission, he's got, he's got man boobs, he's fitting on top, you know, and he's having so much success out there. He'll come back here. And it's going to be nothing. He's be, he's, he'll, he'll be depressed because he won't be getting nothing at all unless he starts going to some international bars. You know, them like there's a couple of little <laughs> yeah. international bars around Hoxton. There's one I can think of yeah. in particular. And he might get lucky there, but you know it'd be pretty limited. He, I'd stay out there if that was me. If my ass, if my ass was going like a fiddler's elbow, I'd stay where I was. I'd be happy. <laughs> the, the showgun continues. I would say that I started out in the manner that you described last week, capitalising on curiosity. But because of my time here and acquired language skills, I think I'm able to make incursions into lesser trodden territories now. The Cameroonian has had lots of experiences with men of all races, so I'm confident I was bringing more to the table than my whiteness. Of course, there are Japanese ladies here who just go exclusively for outsiders out of some odd self-loathing of their own culture. That's very interesting. That. Yeah. Uh, but there are also others who are less focused on the physical, racial, and are just open-minded in general. I've, I've had a few rounds with the first time and can't say I liked it much. Obviously, I much prefer the second. That said, I am wary of pigeonholing Japanese women, as I think I've met all kinds that go against the grains described. And heaven forbid any of them are listening to this podcast. Now, what uh, the Shogun's done here, Mick, yeah. is he's now breaking it down, the categories. He says uh, he's going to break them down into a portfolio and uh, would like me to interpret it with what he terms my razor insights. As you may have guessed already, despite my success, I am not an arrogant man unaware of his shortcomings. I appreciate your candor always and know that I am a lucky person. So let's go through this, Mick. I know that uh, you're a bit like uh, Arsenal under George Graham, sure. very British. So this is all sort of maybe new territory to you, you as How well. How <laughs> yeah. dare you? What do you know about you, me? You, you might have had the odds... The odd Swede thrown in like Anders Limpar. So if I had, had the odd Swede thrown in, I'd still be with her now. Six foot blonde. I love a bit of that. No, I've, 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 um, I've experienced... Would you have dated? Well, so I wouldn't say I'm the United Nations, but I'm definitely a bit of the EU... Um, yeah, I've, I've, had my, I've had my moments. The, the Northern European uh, part of the uh, EU. Um, oh, <laughs> would you Would you have been... Ha- go on, off you go, go on. Would you have been happy dating a woman taller than you? Yeah. Really? Yeah, why not? It wouldn't be that, I'm you, only you, five you, foot nine. It wouldn't be that hard, would it? You know, let's be honest. But you, you, you would be happy in a long-term relationship with, with a woman that was taller than you. Yeah, as long as I was getting what I wanted and she was getting what she wanted, who cares? Okay, let's uh, let's get to the show guns. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We haven't gone through this yet. I've, I've been with about five nationalities, thank you very much, Daniel, before we go on and let on. I'm like, I never said you had it. trying Northern to make Europe, that like a pork pie. Northern Europe is a very, you know, it's a, it's a, cons- we're talking a, a considerable expanse of territories, aren't we? I would call we? New Zealand North Europe, would you? New Zealand, I mean, that, that could be Northern Europe, really, couldn't it? You're seeing the same type of people out there, aren't you? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that. I'm Maori, I've I'm been with a Maori, and you're saying that I've been. Have you? Yes, I have. Really? Day, yeah. And he was a very sweet and considerate <laughs> lover. Thank you. Okay, look. Let's, uh, the Shogun opens with a Chinese lady. Late 30s, very attractive. Uh, she is a friend of a Chinese colleague, divorcee. Can't re- uh, really understand what she says through her heavily accented Japanese or English. Seems lovely, though. Very pretty. We'll meet her tonight for a coffee after work. Then he's got the tall executive. Uh, late 40s, never married, Japanese, no kids. Slightly stern, works for one of our clients. Very tall, has remarkably shapely legs for her string bean proportions. Mm. We've, we've tentative, uh, tentatively penned in dinner for next week, but I think it will be a tough nut to crack. 
Yeah, but I'll tell you what, so, I reckon. He's lining them up, yeah, isn't he? You see Nick? the Japanese one, the 40 year old, that's yeah. the one I'd be targeting. Really? Yeah, a lot of pent up um, energy there. You know what I mean? I bet she cuts loose Hoot lovely. On her, on her part, I bet she cuts loose lovely. Uh, the rich divorcee. I met her online. I do not consider online dating the last ditch method of the socially inept, more like an extra string in the hmm. bow, as she is a bit of a raver. Early 40s, enthusiastic. Oh. Yeah, you're not going to build a lot, no long-term relationship there, then. I'm going to have to... I've been told not to mention that. Oh, right. Don't mention that. He's, I, I, I've said to listeners before, really, I mean, he stuck a bracket yeah. in the middle of about yeah. ten paragraphs, and I, I, I haven't seen it. Yeah, uh, and an all-round laugh. I'm not quite as liberated as her, but she is attractive and seems to be fond of me, as we are both fluent Spanish speakers. She doesn't work, but lives... Ext- I can't believe what I've just read. Lives extremely well. She has invited me over this Sunday for lunch. Uh, the Cameroonians see, see your previous podcast. Uh, the long-term candidate, a friend of a friend who works in a similar field to mine. We have met a few times socially and are now in regular contact with each other. She's late 20s, attractive, laid back and nice. She studied in the UK and I think it wouldn't be her first foray into the Caucasian realm. I like, I like her. She laughs at my jokes and has playfully quipped... Has playfully quipped that I have bigger tits than her. <laughs> He's confident, this boy, isn't he? Well, simul- simultaneously keep- keeping my confidence levels high enough to maintain interest in her. No mean feat. Uh, uh, that's it. Uh, so the the ladies are aware of his man breasts. Yeah, and he doesn't fa- he doesn't give a monkey's toss. So I think that's brilliant. That's admirable, isn't it? You know. So there it is, Daniel, my current portfolio. Please bear in mind, with all portfolios, there is an element of liquidity. Changes, additions, or removals can be abrupt. I hope this mail finds you well. I sincerely hope we can continue to communicate on some level post the 52nd podcast. Your friend in, in Japan, Paul Gaffey. That's good. Yeah, th- extraordinary man. Yeah. Extraordinary life. He's, he's, he, he won't come back. Well, he's lost to these shores. In a, no, in a way, if he does come back, it'll make him, it'll make him appreciate even more, and hopefully he'll go back there. It could be a good thing. But you should definitely go for the forty-year-old Japanese woman. That's the one I'd be going for, the hard one, you know. I think, uh, I think, I expect him to have hooked up with a Cameroonian again from what he's saying mm. by next week. I think that's the one he's regularly seeing. No, that's fine, but he's, he's, and then he's probably got another three. But I th- to be honest, I think he's going for the uh, a clean sweep here. I think he's targeting all of them, and I think he's likely to probably get maybe four of the uh, five or six that he's mentioned. He's confident. Yeah, good luck to him, lucky sod. I need to start finding more interesting things to do and I need to find a way of appreciating the the things that I'm getting right in my life. I need to find a way of doing that. Well, I think just, you know, just giving yourself more credit for everything that you have done and that you are doing because from an out, you know, I'm not in your head, but from an outsider's point of view and, you know, you know seeing lots of people struggling and, and different ways of people coping with it you know you're you're not letting it beat you and lots of people do and you're not and I think that's something that you really do need to give yourself credit for you know you're a good man and and you're doing it in terms of uh, leg muscularity <laughs> where do your other clients stand how, how frequently do they walk how many routes do they have 
Do you know anyone who's got four walking routes? I don't, and and I, you know, I think that's something that you should especially be really, really proud of. The fact, you know, four routes and being able to time pretty much, you know, to the second when you turn up at your cafe. You know, these are big, big achievements. None of my other clients can do that. It doesn't happen overnight. I could imagine. I think everybody can learn something from you about timekeeping and routes. Nina Tame is a counsellor and psychotherapist. Visit her site, iseeabeautifulfuture.com and follow her on Twitter at iseeabeautiful. Next week, people. Next week. How's your back? Yeah. You've been having problems with your back. Yeah, I had week. a lovely massage on uh, Tuesday. I, I didn't want to admit to you, you know, it's pretty opulent, isn't it, to have a massage while you're buying basic um, baked beans and basic tins of soup. But yeah, I had a, a massage, very good. The lady used their elbows a lot. And I buy the proper beans, by the way. Oh, fair enough. What? Yeah, the, the basics ones have too much sauce. Yeah, yeah. Would you buy Heinz? Yeah, yeah. Although I don't really eat them, but I always like to have a tin of Heinz in the house. Well, is that to fry any like burgers that maybe break in and you throw a tin of beans at them? Quite possibly, yeah. yeah. But so, uh, well, um, okay. So you're having a massage with yeah, a woman. Yeah. Do you do you address any hair on the back? Yeah, I did actually say to her about the my. I said, I said you must like hairy. But I said you. Now, what did I say to her? I said you must get used to hairy backs. She went, yeah. I've just. He said I might have put a bit more oil on it. That's all. But yeah, that's it. she said, and your back isn't particularly hairy, which was a bit of a emasculating thing for her to say. And she wasn't. She wasn't the best-looking woman in the world, so I weren't that bothered. But, <laughs> but yeah, she she done she's done a fantastic job, and really. It's funny you alleviate you say that. Um, I, I I always, for example, if I'm in the cafe and I was going to have something to eat, uh, which is very rare, I wouldn't be too fussed. I, I could eat in front of a very unattractive woman. Yeah, yeah. it's when it, it's when it's uh, uh, you know an attractive woman yeah, facing me. That's when I have problems with the eating. I, I I don't like eating in front of attractive women. 